0: Hi everyone and welcome. Today's session will provide you with an understanding of the key components which influence fit-for-purpose material selection for low to medium volume roads in regional and rural areas. My name Elena Gardner and I'm the Communications Manager at Austroads. I'll be moderating today's session. If you run into any technical problems please let me know in the questions section of your sidebar. You'll find that over usually on the right hand side of your screen. And just a quick tip, If you lose sound or your picture freezes, that is most likely an issue with your connection. Closing your browser and rejoining the session via your email registration usually fixes that problem. I acknowledge the Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the custodians from the land which we're broadcasting from today. I pay my respect to elders past, present and emerging. I also acknowledge the Treaty of Waitangi and Maori as the original people of New Zealand. So a little bit of housekeeping. Our presenters will speak for 40 minutes and then we'll have a Q&A session that will run for 15 minutes. We do record all of our webinars and we'll email you once the recording is uploaded on our website. We also distribute our webinars via podcast and you can subscribe to our channel by searching for Ostroads in your podcast app. Today's presentation slides can be downloaded from the handout section in your sidebar. I'm guessing that quite a few of you are joining us from home today. Most Austrode staff are now working from home, and I think all of our presenters are are broadcasting from home today as well. So welcome to you all. A little bit about Austrode. We're the peak organisation of Australasian transport and traffic agencies. Our focus is to support our member organisations to deliver an improved road transport network. AustRoads uses a program management approach to deliver its work. Each program is focused on an operational area of the road system. And the project we're discussing today was delivered under the assets program, which is managed by Ross Guppy and coordinated by Eliz Esteban. So the reports this webinar is based on are also available in the handout section of your sidebar, or they can be downloaded from our website. So please do send us any questions you have for the Q&A session. Simply type your question into the box at any stage of the webinar. It really helps us to answer your question if you can let us know the slide number your question relates to. And it can be helpful to have the PDF of the slides available uh, to refer back to the slide number. And so just a reminder that they can be downloaded from the handout section of the webinar sidebar. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce our presenters today. Mick Savage, who managed this project for Austroads, and Zia Rice and Tyrone Toole, who were the authors of the reports. Mick is the Ipwia New South Wales Directorate Manager of Roads and Transport. He has a long association with Austroads and represents local government on the Austroads Asset Task Force. Mick has worked in senior roles at Ipwia for 15 years and before that was Director of Assets and Infrastructure Services at Randwick City Council. Hi Mick, welcome.
1: Hi Elena, thank you for that. Thanks Mick.
0: Um, Zia Rice has worked at ARB for just over four years and leads the Perth pavement team. Zia has more than five years experience as a geotechnical consultant where she gained extensive field experience in natural materials and engineering geology. Hi Zia, it's great to have you with us today.
2: Thanks Elena, good to be here.
0: And Tyrone Tool's experience covers highway engineering and management projects and institutional development and training in more than 20 countries. He specialises in the management and delivery of multidisciplinary projects and has extensive experience in research and advice related to the management and design of low and high volume roads. Hi Tyrone, welcome. Hi Alina. So, I'm going to now hand over the controls to Mick, who is going to take you through today's agenda.
1: Thanks again, Elena. Welcome to today's webinar. Um, the, um, what we're going to do uh, is I'm going to do a brief project overview and then Sia is going to go through the material assessment process dealing with fit-for-purpose use, material performance and risk assessment, risk reduction and options assessment, uh, and a case study. Following that, Tyrone will look at life cycle costing and that will include levels of service, road performance models, economic costs and option selection, as well as a further case study. Tyrone will then do a summary uh, and some concluding remarks, and then there'll be a Q&A session, so if you uh, provide your questions as we go, uh, there'll be an opportunity to have them answered at the end. So, these are the project aims, but it's a bit of background. Councils have used marginal materials over a long period of time, and have frequently produced good outcomes on low volume roads. Many councils operate gravel pits around their council areas, but determine the suitability of materials by, by trial and error. Is there a better way of assessing material suitability and managing the associated risk. State road authorities also have a need to assess local gravels for use on both their sealed and unsealed roads. So, the aims are to provide evidence of the effectiveness of using locally available marginal and non standard materials, to provide guidance on assessment and appropriate use to achieve cost effective asset whole-of-life outcomes, to identify opportunities to allow use in standard circumstances, and to identify further research required to confirm the selection, use, and benefits of marginal materials. So, the essential outcomes. Today's webinar will provide details of the project, including the materials assessment process, life cycle costing considerations, and case studies showing positive outcomes across a range of conditions. In particular, information will be provided on the effect of material, traffic, and climate, on fit-for-purpose outcomes, predicting and controlling performance, The importance of materials testing and the use of sound construction techniques and risk management techniques for increasing fit for purpose material options. We hope that road managers will find these documents valuable additions to the tools available to them to make more effective use of available local resources. I'll now hand you over to Zia to commence the details.
2: Thanks Mick for that um, introduction. Um, I'm going to start going through the evaluation tool and user guide content from the report. Um, Just a reminder again that you can download these in the handout section um, of your toolbar. Uh, First up I just want to touch on the two report outputs for this project again so this webinar is focusing on the evaluation tool and user guide report um, as this is the practical side of things. Um, We also produced a technical basis report which has a lot more detail and essentially explains how we developed um, all the processes um, and assessments that are included in the user guide. The technical Basis report also discusses evidence and justification for the tools that we developed. So if you're going through the user guide and you think, oh, I wonder why they did it this way, or I wonder why they've used this, um, just take a look at the technical basis report, which will hopefully um, answer any questions that you have. Okay, so onto the contents of the report. The evaluation tool and user guide report itself focuses on three tools for undertaking a fit for purpose material assessment. So we start out with our introduction into the assessment process for choosing fit for purpose materials, and then the report launches into the first tool, the material risk assessment. And the material risk assessment section provides insight into what determines material performance and how to undertake a material risk assessment. Um, The next tool is the materials option assessment, and this allows the reader to undertake an options assessment, which is essentially a framework um, for deciding what is the best material or material treatment based on performance risk, but also on um, cost considerations. Um, And finally, we have a detailed tool which provides direction on life cycle costing and all the components which play into this. Uh, we also have included several case studies uh, in the report um, and these just give practical examples of how to use these different tools. Okay, so let's define fit for purpose material material use before we go any further. Um, understanding what influences the performance of a pavement and how the performance can be predicted and controlled is the key to fit for purpose material. It requires having an in-depth understanding of material properties the operating conditions which include traffic loads as well as climate loads especially moisture and finally the life cycle cost component which includes things like level of service targets road user costs um, and maintenance and rehab intervention throughout the asset life so by accounting for all these components, we can ensure we choose or use a material which is fit for purpose. Okay, so just a quick overview of the assessment process. Like I've just talked about a fit for purpose material depends on material characteristics, traffic, moisture and climate and life cycle cost constraints and all these parts interact. So the assessment process, which is made up of three tools detailed in the user guide report, essentially takes the user through each of these major components to obtain an output for each, and then you know shows them how to put them all together to get that fit for purpose outcome. Going into the first tool now, we have the material um, risk assessment. And the first part of this tool is understanding what influences material performance or material performance mechanisms. So the figure on the slide, um, which is also in the report, you can uh, see our little call out boxes at the top um, if you wanna follow along in the actual report PDF. Um, This aims to visually demonstrate how material performance is influenced by traffic, moisture and material properties. So as traffic and moisture loads increase, the risk of poor material performance also increases and material properties become much more critical. So as moisture increases on the y-axis in this figure, material properties such as permeability and plasticity characteristics become much more important and need to be constrained. For traffic um, along the x-axis, grading properties become more important as a good grading provides stability and durability for our material. So the higher the traffic, the more important it is to have the correct grading. So when we have a combination of moisture and traffic, we need to think about all of these material properties if we want to ensure or predict material performance. Um, And I think it's important to note at this stage that we can't always have a well-performing material. Um, So in the cases where the only option is to use a material which in the design scenario conditions may have a medium or high risk of poor performance, we need to ensure that we've allowed for extra periodic maintenance, or for example, or that we've implemented moisture limiting designs such as sealed shoulders, steeper embankments and that type of thing. And this is fit for purpose use, not just making a material completely low risk. We have to work with what we have and tweak other components to make it feasible. So the actual risk assessment, which we developed is based on the performance mechanism idea captured um, in the figure from the previous slide. So to do this, we have a risk catalog, which is the first um, table up on this slide now. And this catalog allows us to select the right operating category. So if we have a high traffic and high moisture um, and we're dealing with a sealed road, we need to look at risk category S9. So the traffic levels for the risk catalog are based on design traffic in terms of million ESAs um, and the moisture probability is based on local rainfall data. And for more information on how the moisture probability is calculated, you can refer to the reports. Um, But yeah, essentially we've made it so that you can calculate this based on the downloadable data from the BOM website. So once we have our risk assessment category, we also need to account for our material category and this is only relevant for sealed roads risk assessment. And the reason we define a material category is that historic observations have continually demonstrated that materials with different origins perform differently in pavement applications. So by origins I mean geological origins. So we've got ironstone and ferrocrates, for example, which are typically sufficient deposits. These are going to perform a lot differently to a sedimentary deposit, such as a limestone or a sandstone. So it's important that we understand exactly what our material is, otherwise, our risk assessment output might not actually be correct. Um, and the final figure on this slide, just down at the bottom, this is just there to demonstrate how different combinations of traffic and moisture influence performance risk. So When we're talking about low to medium traffic applications as we are in in this project, um, when we're we're dealing with non-standards and naturally occurring materials, moisture is much more detrimental to material performance and traffic. So the red shading demonstrates um, design scenarios where a high level of management will be required to enable a fit for purpose outcome. So in other words, it's a lot harder. Um, On the other side of the spectrum, we have the blue category where most materials will be fit for this purpose. uh, And that is, it's a lot easier to get good performance um, out of our materials. So we've selected our risk assessment category um, based on our load and moisture conditions. And if we're dealing with a sealed road, we've also selected our material category, either A or B. Um, We then undertake an assessment of the material using the risk assessment table in conjunction with common material properties. Um, And these properties are fines ratio or FR, grading modulus or GM and weighted linear shrinkage WLS. Um, And the reason why we've chosen these three properties is again detailed in the technical basis report, but essentially evidence shows that these are the best indices for predicting material performance in a pavement on a very um, simple level. So all you need for this is your your particle size distribution and your plasticity. So I only have the risk assessment table for sealed roads up on the slide, um, material category A, but there is a similar one for category B and also another one for unsealed roads. Um, And really the only thing that changes is the material property criteria numbers. Um, within the table. So you find your category in the assessment table. So let's say we're looking at um, risk category S9. We go down to the bottom of the table and we feed in our results to get our material risk. And the possible outcomes for this scenario is either low, high, very high or not suitable. So we have a material risk based on our preliminary information of traffic, climate and material. And we also have the option to reduce our material risk by introducing certain measures. Um, These risk reduction techniques may include altering material properties through blending, screening or stabilisation or through the reduction of moisture infiltration by increasing drainage potential. Um, increasing crossfall or sealing our shoulders um, and other things like that. Uh, and this brings us to the options assessment tool. So a material options assessment allows various materials to be compared briefly before undertaking an in-depth lifecycle cost analysis. So if there are multiple sources of material available around your project site, um, the options assessment will help you choose which of these is the best option. Although in most cases, we only have one option of material near our project site and the options assessment in this case can help identify the most appropriate risk reduction technique or techniques to be employed to decrease the risk of a material. So the options assessment is a step-by-step process which designates a base scenario um, and then compares the other options relative to performance and anticipated cost. I'm just gonna quickly go through an example of a material risk assessment and options assessment, because it is a little bit easy to, easier to explain um, with the aid of an example. Um, so this example is also included in the appendices of the report. Um, so if you wanna follow along or if you wanna have a look um, a bit later Um, I'll just go through it quickly now. So for this example, we have a scenario where we have low traffic and low moisture, and we're looking at a sealed road um, scenario. We have four materials available close to the project. Um, So the material information is shown in this first table, um, the first table here. So we have our material categories for each, um, A or B, We have material properties, which like I said before, are calculated through um, grading and plasticity information. And then we also have our haulage distance of each relative to the project site, and also how much of the material is available um, at each borough site. Um, The next little table uh, in the middle here demonstrates the risk assessment output. So we're in risk assessment category S1. And if we, um, because we have a low traffic and low moisture uh, and a sealed road, so if we feed this into the risk uh, risk assessment table, uh, we get the output for these four materials. So we get a low, very low, low and medium risk for each of those. Oops, sorry about that. So our next, um, so our base case in this scenario is uh, using material four as it's the closest to our project site. There's no haulage, um, so it's our our base case. But it does have a medium risk of poor performance. So our other three options um, included in this example include blending material four with other nearby materials such as material one or material three, um, or stabilising material four or hauling material two which has a very low risk of poor performance, but is located quite a fair way away. So we've got all these different options listed in this table here. We have our base scenario and our three options. And then we have these little um, assessment items that you know we assess each, each scenario on. So when we blend a material, we can calculate the new grading and the new properties of the blend. Um, and this is also um, demonstrated in the report, how to undertake a a blend design it's quite straightforward Um, and then what we do is we actually feed those new properties back into the risk assessment um, and we get a new risk um, for our blended material so in this case it's actually given us a very low um, performance risk when we blend um, material four and I think it was material one together We've actually done a bit of an assessment in the report where we look at the best blend design between uh, material four and three and four and one. So with the blend, we have a very low risk of poor performance, which in turns means we have a very low maintenance cost over the life um, of the asset. But then there's gonna be some extra construction costs, um, not a huge amount, but from due to the plant needed to do the blending and also some haulage costs from um, hauling the material one or three you know, um, to the project site to blend. So the same for stabilisation, um, we need to look at the material properties. So material property four and decide whether it's actually suitable to be stabilised and if stabilisation is actually going to make a difference to the performance. Um, in this case, material four doesn't really lend itself to stabilisation. Again, there's more information um, in the example in the report So the risk remains the same at medium. Um, And again, we need to think about the extra costs associated with stabilisation, um, such as the actual cost of the agent itself and the extra costs from all the the different plant that's required. Um, In this case, obviously we don't have any haulage costs because we're using our close by material um, and our ongoing maintenance costs are expected to be medium due to the fact that our performance risk is medium. So our final option is our haulage option. Um, So even though our risk of material two is very low, um, our haulage costs are very high. Um, We don't have any agent costs and we don't have any extra construction costs and our maintenance costs are very low due to our performance risk being very low. So we add up all these factors. Um, We're using a scale of zero to five here and we get a fit for purpose rating for each of the, for each of the different options down the bottom. So we have six, five, 12 and seven. And the lowest rating is our most fit for purpose solution. So in this case, blending material four with another nearby material is actually gonna give us the best outcome for this design scenario. Just a reminder at this point to send through any of your questions via the toolbar on your screen so we can go through them at the end um, and we can also answer them after the webinar uh, through the email. So I'm going to hand over to Ty now to talk about uh, life cycle cost assessments. Thanks Ty.
3: Thank you Zia and uh, it's a pleasure to contribute to this presentation and, and to the work that's been undertaking. Building on Zia's presentation, the Following topics address the formal life cycle cost assessment uh, based on all of asset life modelling and economic analysis. So, this is additional to the materials assessment tool, et cetera, that was described by Zia. Uh, The purpose being to have a more quantitative. understanding assessment of the impacts of different options and the cost as road agency and road user again a good experience good judgment in the assessments uh, make a lot of sense but we also have to uh, justify the budget consequences and and, and performance and whole of life cycle terms the different components include the lifestyle uh, level of the service and appropriate interventions. And in establishing these, we need to test options, i.e. designs or different alternatives. And again, we need to be able to control both them and subsequent maintenance and renewal strategies that put forward as a means of controlling performance into the future. So, to do this again, we need designs, or treatments in terms of the attributes which impact performance. We need to employ these within performance models and calculate the road user cost implications. So over on the right-hand side, you'll see that well-known, I usually call it the Goldilocks uh, diagram. We were trying to formally minimise transport costs. We have maintenance standards. As those increase, as performance expectations increase, costs increase, the agency costs increase. But we also know that the unit cost to uh, individual road users uh, drops. Finding the sweet spot is what we're seeking. In maintenance and deficit type, deferred maintenance, backlog type situations, it's also interesting to know where we have a shortfall in budget, then an excess cost will occur. So our analysis is aimed at using such principles. And what we have done is developed a series of case studies for both sealed and unsealed roads which illustrate these. So an important other aspect of the work is we're building on extensive research that which has been undertaken through the Austroads Programme and other work for local governments and states in Australasia, as well as international evidence. And I trust this comes through uh, in the presentation and in the reports that we've provided. On the subject of uh, level of service, in sealed roads, we need to be considering uh, the condition of the of the sections of the network and the response in terms of works which are typically undertaken for unsealed roads we we are well aware that scheduled works are more common but fundamentally is to uh, protect the road user and from uh, poor conditions and extend the, the life of, of, of treatments. So, the options we investigate need to include at least desirable limits and minimum tolerable limits and some variations on needs. Again, so that we've got choices to help pick the sweet spot. The last point on, on this slide here, risk management, in reality, we need to manage roads which also become in poor condition. It's essential that the uh, actual conditions are considered, since performance itself might see very wide variations in conditions which might have other impacts. Some of these can include safety, and if it's compromised, how, how would it be accounted for? We're trying to capture all the costs. Travel speeds might be impacted. Again, restrictions on on speed might be applied as a safety management measure. What are the minimum or holding treatments required to manage such conditions as an alternative when we're considering uh, different solutions? Each of these, by considering the different scenarios and the treatments and management techniques that might be applied, we want to monetize as much as possible. So, on the life cycle based options assessment, similar in structure to what Zia described, the first point means consideration needs to be given to business-as-usual options, minimum, as as I mentioned earlier, and others. It relates to the level of service link and intervention. The second is key. Can we model such conditions and get reasonable and defendable comparisons? So, performance factors, evidence, uh, the different components emphasized earlier all become key. The costs, supply and upkeep, supply considering the locations, haulage costs, winning and processing costs, and upkeep. Often, we find that significant work and costs surround ongoing maintenance repairs, often recorded or uh, mentioned as band-aids, stated as band-aids, but these can be very significant when summed up over a period of time. We also need to account for shocks that might impact performance. So, quantifying the road deterioration and works effects of treatments, determining the costs, not just considering what we might uh, term as gradual deterioration of the pavement and the surfacing. A lot, most of us have become aware of such events of extreme uh, weather, of floods. I guess one of the things that I've found from looking at historical records is this isn't new, but there's also projections that it could become worse, more severe, more extreme. So, accounting for such considerations is very important. is it? exacerbates the challenges we have with weak, moisture-sensitive pavements, foundations, etc. So these are the risks we face. As mentioned earlier, we need to quantify and monetize. The idea with the fit-for-purpose options is, in the final uh, point here, they may not also be the ideal, especially where constraints exist so we need to have management strategies the aim is to reduce surprises let's try and cost them we have significant experience to draw on stepping now through uh, first the performance of unsailed roads and then the performance of Sealed roads, we first wish to draw attention. Again, I'm sure the audience is very aware of the dominance of different factors. In our materials and the pavements that we supply, the properties and thicknesses. What if we don't have standard materials? Do we have marginal, just on the limit? Are they completely non standard? Traffic loading. This can also change, there might be developments which happen, so projections into the the future will be important. Moisture. We've seen examples where nominally semi-arid areas actually see vastly greater rainfall fairly frequently. In some cases in Australia, we've seen uh, your nominal limits Dividing the types of standards we're talking about, say 500 millimetres of rainfall uh, per year and reasonably uh, dry, we've seen them exceeded significantly one in three years. We've seen moisture through floods, et cetera, create massive issues. So understanding the trends, the resulting performance from that, but Controlling deterioration and preserving the asset become important. So the, the type of diagram below, typical road to condition deterioration over time. Again, we've seen this before, uncontrolled or controlled deterioration. And then we mentioned the stitching time approaches. Always expect maintenance to be done. Why not? It's essential. Uh, to maintain a reasonable profile over time, but we can also define the different uh, intervention points. We also know from our uh, performance monitoring, the long-term performance sites and network studies, etc., that the initiation and progression of this can be significantly different. In this case, it's illustrating the difference in blue, where there is a much drier environment, a moisture deficit, close to moisture deficit, or a surplus. Again, our knowledge can be harnessed and used in the analysis uh, to support use of these uh, solutions going forward. In the Work that we have undertaken in formal lifecycle cost-based analysis, we've, execu- we've employed our what we call a PLCC demonstration tool, and this incorporates what we believe is the latest road deterioration and works uh, effects models and, uh, and road user cost models, drawing on Australasian and national sources. If we're doing comparisons, we need to be able to then set up strategies and compare them. As I say, it might be a minimum uh, between what we call the base the base case, business as usual possibly, or on alternative intervention. What I've chosen to do in this part of the presentation is to incorporate Examples of the case studies as we progress through. It's really because, in my view at least, it comes to life if we describe the examples at this point. In here we have example analysis sections where we've examined standard materials, marginal, non-standard, and we've tested them under a range of different moisture conditions. Are they well drained? Is the pavement well sealed and dry at the top? and again we have significant impacts in the estimated uh, strength measure uh, modified structural number which we employ but we also have other inputs to this analysis tool we have outputs detailed results which uh, project our life cycle uh, performance with treatments over 50 years in this analysis tool but also, gives up, give us simple outputs an estimated remaining surface life, structural life, etc. So, again, we can frame the analysis. If we take the example from central West Queensland, and this also builds on the work under the uh, Queensland research programs and the Ostroads program, which preceded this. We can describe the performance of the materials, whether it's it's CBR strength or its rate of rutting, it's modulus, under different moisture regimes, here uh, using the attribute of degree of saturation. The materials at the top of the line here are very standard materials. They are still locally available, perhaps some distance from a site. The materials in the lower area can include clay sands, so the differences are very wide between natural uh, granular uh, gravels, processed rocks across to almost soils, and hence the large difference in performance. When we then uh, applied different factors, what happens under moisture to very different uh, strengths and performance occurs, as is illustrated in this lower graph here. Some of the solutions will last a very long time, 40 years perhaps, some 20, much, some much less. How we keep them in service is often critical, perhaps under budget constraints. Uh, lower quality materials were used, but the performance profile was maintained by high maintenance inputs. We basically need to understand that, and that's fundamental to the work and the conclusions that we've been drawn. As an example from the uh, economic analysis that we've uh, produced, I'll take, for instance, on the road agency cost side, If a pavement can be dry and well-drained throughout its life, the marginal material solutions minimise road agency costs for very long holds. Non-standard might uh, be economic from an agency cost perspective beyond that. Where high pavement moisture conditions are likely or occur Sufficiently frequently, that pavement failure risk becomes a large issue, standard materials uh, are perhaps the way to go. And again, looking at total transport costs, we were trying to get that Goldilocks position. The marginal materials do well. Yes, there's somewhere out of the standard envelopes, but uh, like the ridge gravels and other materials, they can perform well. The issue is this business about high pavement moisture and poor drainage. Can we control it? If we can, or there is a low risk of being able to control it, then the standard uh, solutions are the way to go. But there are potentially large savings, so choices exist. In unsealed roads, which is the other uh, part of the project and uh, clearly very important in, uh, throughout Australasia and other parts of the world, very large part of the network. The dominant factors include the weather, associated deterioration mechanisms, uh, in the dry, in the wet, whether you have a uh, sufficiently strong uh, upper surfacing material, a weak roadbed, etc. All of these considerations need to be accounted for. We've developed, uh, with, I should say, our colleagues in uh, Southern Africa originally developed this simple unsealed performance guide and we've found it of very uh, good use, uh, very useful Uh, in practice in Australasia, Uh, again, are we in the sweet spot here in in terms of our unsealed performance? The other challenges we have are clearly traffic. This is an example in uh, a hilly area, again in uh, Australia, but in in a temperate zone where rainfall can be quite high. So the challenge is getting that mix. Have we got the right uh, and most critical properties covered and uh, performance uh, can it then be uh, can can support the demand which traffic uh, challenges roads with? Finally, uh, an example which we continuously find key is deterioration post laying construction of the wearing surface and its response to maintenance. We we can show examples of the effect of uh, inadequate compaction, the wrong balance of moisture at the time of compaction. If it's compacted dry, it's compacted again in the sweet spot of compaction, or if the technique only uh, has a temporary effect in improving the surface of a road, and then it deteriorates further again. So, there's a big emphasis on light grading techniques, medium grading techniques, with and without moisture and compaction, and heavy grading techniques. This helps to build our uh, picture about how the different options then uh, perform. If I then uh, show this example here on a life cycle-based analysis for ansia roads, what's been useful in reviewing the work going over the past 10-15 years uh, in Australasia is the different deterioration trends and models that we've developed. And here I'm stressing the difference between typical, and I'll say that because that's where uh the general models have pointed to using all the available data and good practice where there's been greater control put into the maintenance operation and if we see here and use road roughness is the scale on the left hand side you can see how the deterioration pattern up to very very high levels where things really don't get much worse how the trend Uh, occurs. Whereas much more gradual deterioration, lasting conditions can occur where good practice controlled effective maintenance uh, takes place. Where cyclic maintenance has been done in this case, then it again leads to even better improvements. So one of the, the fruits of the research in the last seven or eight years has to really get A better understanding on the benefit of good maintenance, good construction, good selection and blending of materials. What we can do, and this is getting back to the the Goldilocks example, is we can, by building up a matrix of different options, we can actually build that diagram uh, for specific frequencies of maintenance in a certain practice, Uh, We can estimate the total transport costs here. We can pick the sweet spot along here for different traffic levels. And a result of this will be, or is, simple tables or figures which guide uh, practitioners in in the uh, maintenance frequency that they might apply under different conditions. So again, rebuilding that type of diagram. From a maintenance needs and materials assessment, we also see very extreme ranges of materials used on unsealed roads and lo and behold, the performance is different. So we can plot a range of materials in in a shire. Some are slippery, some corrugating gravel, some about the sweet spot. And lo and behold, when we assess it in the field, things are happening. Rutting is taking place on rolling and rolling in hilly terrain. How do we manage that? Even in an area where the, the techniques were good, the challenge they were having over time is that the road was gradually losing material, so the ability to re- restore shape was beginning uh, to get difficult. One possibility, is bringing in additional material, is it a straightforward re-gravel, reshape method, or is it also to incorporate some additional coarse material, perhaps from recycled uh, building waste, from millings, from reprocessing an existing sealed road, bringing that material and helping build that shape back again. The techniques themselves were fairly sensible, but the time, uh, it was then becoming time critical to do something else. Again, uh, a valuable uh, letting could be made and uh, delivered to users by changing the approach going forward but assessing that there was a need. So, the aim in our work is to be able to bring together uh, the various uh, components as uh, in materials assessment through to options and the uh, lifecycle cost analysis. In the guide and also in the technical basis, the scope of case studies, uh, the six case studies covering sealed road situations on assessment, unsealed and unsealed on life cycle cost and that mixture of materials improvement and and maintenance. So again, I hope that you can find more in there of interest. And it also includes uh, cases drawn from real examples. In concluding, I trust the outputs we've produced prove to be useful and practical. Uh, as mentioned, the materials assessment process. The key is to always identify and evaluate options, consider the risks, consider the materials aspects themselves, the raw materials, and any improvements you can make, the traffic and the moisture risks. And then, periodically at least, if not more, address the life cycle cost implications. The final analysis we produce aims to provide some simple guidance, can be presented as uh, to inform rules of thumb, chart and table based solutions, as well as uh, project specific analyses and network analyses. The key is to understand the variations that exist, consider the changing conditions and consequences, and draw on evidence based case studies, uh, performance observations, as well as our experience and knowledge. So we hope this is of uh, interest, it reinvigorates interest in this key area, and it helps in building capacity. What I just finally say, there's a lot of and experience in this work. Uh, Hopefully it doesn't come across as a series of black boxes. Thank you.
0: Okay, thanks so much, Tyrone and um, Zia and Mick. Uh, We will um, now uh, go to questions that we've got, and we've got quite a few questions. So I am going to go to the first one, which relates to slide 20. Okay, so the question is, it appears you haven't included the width of the shoulder as a critical item. The performance of a granular pavement with a sprayed seal um, is also related to the, the performance of the pavement is also related to the width of the shoulder with narrow to no shoulder having a lower performance independent of climatic condition. Was this considered in the primary risk assessment?
2: Um, Thanks, Elena. So we we do include the width of our sealed shoulders in our risk um, reduction techniques Um, so the risk assessment uh, for the actual material is is firstly just based on moisture probability and traffic Um, and then we have these risk reduction um, techniques including sealed shoulders um, because yes I do agree and and, Historic performance has shown that our width of our sealed shoulder plays a huge part, and and the reason that that um, the the wider that our shoulders are is, is due to moisture um, infiltration through the shoulders into the um nat- into the non standard or or into the pavement itself. So that's sealed shoulders has just come into our um, risk reduction techniques, and that that's actually detailed a bit further in our technical basis report.
0: Terrific, thanks Zia. Um, So a general question, uh, has consideration been given to include case studies in Appendix B of the Guide for New Zealand Conditions?
2: Um, No Ty do we have anything, I don't think we looked at anything in New Zealand um, specific to this. Ty do you have anything else to say on that one?
3: Only that we, we didn't uh, on this occasion, we concentrated on uh, a number of case studies with uh, agencies we were closely working with, uh, a direction by the Ostroads team. I, I mean, all I'd say is that the key is if the approach we've taken, and I believe it's transparent, etc., it can be replicated. A, in in other in other places we were trying to get pretty close- collaboration with a number of organizations uh in the time some worked, but yes i can I can see there being more need
2: I think also on that um like you said ty if they check out the technical basis report um you can see how we've developed the risk assessment especially and we know how we've come up with those numbers, and that's definitely are repeatable for um, you know internationally we, we're we just using we use a whole bunch of specifications from Australia to you know output those risks so I think that can definitely be um, used elsewhere that framework
3: yeah I mean that I, I'd like to conclude with that I I was tempted to go back in some of my African work for the same thing again because in, in some of these studies we had a sufficiently wide range of performance and different types of materials that you could actually do you could kick off and do it as a little desk study you could do it on uh, New Zealand examples and other country examples thank
0: you okay great thanks guys um the next question relates to slide 24 which is, can you clarify what you mean by blending materials and why this couldn't be done at the quarry rather than on the side of the road where dust would be an issue?
2: Um, So blending materials is when we combine two different materials, kind of essentially make a new material. um, And we can do this design through selecting percentage of each that we want to blend. And we can blend more than two materials. I've just used that in the example. Um yes this can be undertaken at a quarry, but I suppose in a regional um point of view, you know, we're we're working out of borrow pits on the side of the road, uh in paddocks and things like that. So we could we can use these um uh blending blending plant that is essentially um, you know, it can be moved around the project site. Um so in regional areas that's that's where we, we do our blending usually would be you know, at a borrow pit or at the actual project site itself.
0: Great, thanks Zia. Uh, So uh, another general question and this is, has the research been able to compare or validate the model results with actual performance and actual lifetime costs from a range of materials?
2: Um, So initially we did look at, um, one of the hardest things to find is Um, recorded historic performance information that can be quite difficult to um, to dig out but we were lucky enough to have quite a bit of that information from Western Queensland with the help of um, Bill Hunt Um, and they've got a lot of performance Um, they've got a visual chart view program that you know shows all the different changes of road and you know performance like cracking and roughness and progression and things like that so Yes, um, I did use quite a bit of that just to run through my, especially my material risk assessment, just to see if that risk of um, poor performance was reflected by some of this um, historic um, performance information. And again, I think that's detailed in the technical report.
0: Great, thanks Zia. Well, look guys, look, I think that that brings us to the end of our session today. We're right on two o'clock. Um, So uh, I know that there's a few questions that we haven't gotten to in the live session, but we will respond to all of your questions in writing. Uh, That will take us a little while to get back to you, but we will post that to everybody who's been involved in today's session. So just before we sign off, I just wanted to let you know about the upcoming webinars that we have. Um, I think in Tyrone's slide he did uh, include some information that we've got some upcoming webinars on this topic Um, they're not in this list at this stage but we've got three longer form webinars coming up Um, one that will provide a detailed introduction to the materials assessment framework and then um, a detailed two detailed introductions to the life cycle costing framework with separate sessions on its application to unsealed roads and to sealed roads So hopefully we'll have those up on our website in the next couple of weeks. Um, And if you're subscribed to our uh, Roadwatch Insight Alerts, you'll get notification of those when they're available. So look, thank you very much, Mick, Zia and Tyrone, a really terrific uh, presentation today. And thank you everybody for your questions. Really great questions and uh, we'll definitely get back to you um, with written responses on those that we weren't able to answer today. So as we close out today, a a pop-up questionnaire is going to come up. Please do respond if you've got um, a few minutes. Uh, We do read all of your responses and we're using your responses to shape our upcoming webinar series. So thank you uh, everybody Um, and uh, I'll sign off and wish you all the best for an, an enjoyable rest of your day.